Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcasts. I'm Al and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one book at a time. This month we're discussing book 37, Unseen Academicals. Well, this book was more like six books. Yeah, but at the same time it was one very long book. Very, very long. We are we are still recording this in the depths of the great uh, quarantine of 2020. Yes, the entroublement. And so... Uh, as a result, we're finding ourselves with more time to uh, sprint through the audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And play Animal Crossing. And play Animal Crossing, yeah. yes. Not fun, but something to do. Yeah, exactly. But, um... Come the time, come the animal man. But this book was, like, the audiobook was almost 13 hours long, and mm-hmm. we were trying to get through one of these a week, and so that's a slog anyway, but if it's a book we don't want to read... Mm-hmm. That is a real, like, Thud is very long, but Thud's my favorite damn book. We also haven't had one that we didn't want to read in a long time. I feel like your memory of this, and I could be Mm -hmm. mistaken, but I feel like your memory of this was that you didn't hate it, you just didn't love it. That's actually kind of my same experience this time. Really? There's about a third of this book that I really respond to Mm -hmm. Uh, but looking at it with a more critical eye what you ended up having was a bunch of really great sequences there are some exceptional veterinary bits in this there's some wonderful stuff with nut Uh, there's some great stuff um, with Glenda one of the main characters yeah Uh, there's there's two good new characters in this and one very good established character Mm -hmm. And then we have some interesting stuff with the um, the, the dwarf fashions, uh, but there's a lot of Drek. There's a lot of stuff I'm not interested in, that real Reaper man thing where I'm interested mm-hmm. in Reaper, or I'm interested in man and not interested in Reaper. Right. Um, and it doesn't really hold together as a novel. No. Just like we were talking about in the last book, the themes, there are themes here. There are themes that I really enjoy, but they never really coalesce. Right. So we have a bunch of sort of events happening that don't turn into like a book. Yeah. And nothing really dovetails like, yes, they sort of intersect. But if it was written as kind of a, here's a bunch of like 22 mm-hmm. short stories about Ankh-Morpork Park or something like where they're. Mm-hmm characters whose lives intersect but they're not really part of one big narrative they're part of a bunch of small narratives that could be an interesting approach but that's not that's not what it is it's no it is one overarching plot that we just sort of meander around yeah let's go over here right now Mm -hmm. let's go over here right now and it felt to me like he had notes for i would say at least three different books at least three and combine them all. Well, let, let's do your summary before we really get into this. Okay, so my summary is that orcs exist and the wizards play football. That's that's two of the books. Yeah, it's two of the books. You did sell at least one other plot short, though. Yeah, and there's also dwarf fashion. Yes. Yeah. I think that covers it. Are those the three? Yeah, those are the three main ones. And the orc sort of kind of fits the football thing almost because the football thing is like talks a lot about this idea of the shove which Mm -hmm. is all of the football supporters like hanging out and supporting their their yeah but it's basically the the angry mob right it's and it's the Ankh-Morpork er mob that, that right. we've, we've dealt with. Usually the the ones who are there for a joke or there for a show, the ones yeah. that are reacting to Moist or 
like cracking wise while Vimes is trying to do something serious or whatever. Right. Yeah. They're sort of the mob. And... But they've never been dangerous, really. Right. It, dangerous sometimes the way, you know, like like in um, uh, Nightwatch, mm-hmm. they were dangerous because there was rioting and right. like a lot of that going on, but usually not particularly dangerous. Uh, the idea is that the shove, this mob, is a lot like an orc horde. Right. Morks and orgs. Uh-huh. Orgs and wogs. Mordoing wogs. Mm-hmm. It, like, I suppose it connects in that way. Mm-hmm. But then the fashion thing is very tangential. Like, yes, these characters are connected right. to the characters in the other plot. But otherwise, that has nothing to do with anything. And the fashion plot uh, sort of is where my good thing is one okay. of the one of the themes of this book is you need to leave your shitty little town except in this case it's not a little town what what i like is the turnaround is the is the throughout the series 30 some plus books and Morpork is the place where everyone goes in the earliest books right. it was like the barbarians came here to the tavern because that's where all the riches were and like later it was like this is veterinary's ideal city this is the place where everything works and everyone and we see dwarfs coming here we see trolls coming here and then later other like fantasy races Mm -hmm. coming here because it's where everyone wants to be and it's cool to see a turnaround to see people who don't want to be here for the first time right and we've also talked and this is something that comes from england where you've got this one big sprawling city but it's really made up of a bunch of little districts and each little district has its own sort of flavor and interest and uh like we have um dolly sisters we were we've talked about before and they are sort of a more conservative parochial area of Ankh-Morpork less not sort of like they don't have sort of the big city mentality so you've got small like small yeah no i hadn't thought of it that way you're right it's a bunch of tiny towns that are sort of part of the city but yeah yeah, that's a good point yeah so you can have small town mindset in a city in a city i mean you see that in any city we live in the suburbs of seattle and i definitely see it here as well you see it everywhere so you have that sort of sprawl where (laughs) yes you're in the city but really you're an hour and a half from the city right um and there was some mildly interesting stuff i would say Mm -hmm treating football supporters mm-hmm. sort of like gangs sort mm-hmm. of like tribes sort of like they, that riff wasn't bad the whole idea of this guy trev and mm-hmm. uh juliet and it's right in her name mm-hmm. being from rival families who support different football clubs that's that's clever it's nothing to build a book on but no, it's but an it's, interesting it's, the, a, it's the a Mon- nice little bit the montagues and the capulets are just supporters of different Football teams. Right. I kind of like that. But it's treated with the seriousness yes. of that. And uh, Glenda, who is uh, one Juliet's of our main... best friends. Yeah, one of our main characters. Uh, she's from Dolly Sisters, and she wears a football scarf to show the team she supports, even though she doesn't really give a shit about it. No. She says you do it because it's safer. Because, yeah, gang colors. Cause, yeah, because it's, it's violent out there if you're supporting the wrong team or supporting no team, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know sort of sad like as well i think it for me Mm -hmm. it wasn't exaggerated enough to be funny Mm -hmm. or to be a metaphor it's kind of like that already Mm -hmm. like in some places i'm not like i'm not a sports guy i've never been a sports guy but i mean i grew up around them and people particularly when they get drunk and rowdy 
like if you don't support the right team you're like you know you're on the wrong side and like it's... Well, up up in uh, british columbia where i'm from um the only time you get riots in the city is when the hockey team either wins or loses it doesn't right. matter which no when hockey happens when ho- when there is hockey when a yeah. hockey event occurs yeah uh, actually that's not true they, there's also a riot over a canceled guns and roses concert yeah but guns and roses brings that with them everywhere they yeah, go yeah that's more of a guns and roses thing right that's not Canada's fault. That's Guns N' Roses. That's Axl Rose's fault, probably. Exclusively him. So that's one of the themes of the book that never really kind of came to anything, came to fruition. This idea that you need to leave your shitty little town um, and like move on with your life. You can't just keep doing things the same way and the way that is sort of like appropriate. And that's Glenda's whole story, is that she grew up here. She's basically just becoming her mother. And um, becoming other people's mother as well. She's she's becoming she's, her own mother. She's taking care of her father mm-hmm. like a, a mother or a wife would. She's taking care of this girl, Juliet, like a mother would. She's just turning into everyone's mom. Yeah, and Trev says, you got to be careful being around Glenda because she'll run your life for you. Right. And she is doing this without realizing it or without any intent. It's just sort of her life because it's what's kind of expected of her. And in the book, she, the course of the book, she realizes, I don't have to do this. I can have my own life. I don't have to spend all my time helping people. Yeah, helping people is good to a point. Yeah. But one, only if they ask for it. Mm-hmm. And two, maybe not to the detriment of, you know, my health. No, she has a good moment where... So her friend Juliet is Mm -hmm. just this statuesque beauty, this Mm -hmm. just gorgeous creature. She's another one of Terry Pratchett's dumb blondes, though. I I mean, you can speak to this better Mm -hmm. than I. I'm not going to be a dude saying, oh, yeah, this other dude nailed this feminism Mm -hmm. thing. No, not at all. In fact, there's some some stuff we need to talk about in a few minutes. But what you always told me and what I have read echoed in many, many other things is if there are several women present... It's not so bad to have one that's a bit of a stereotype or a bit of a like a, a throwback or whatever because it's about ba- like the it's fact that Juliet exists is balanced out though. by the fact that Glenn. I don't know. I liked their dynamic. I liked that Glenda. You've known people like this. They need to be led. They're well-meaning, but they're dumb. And Glenda, I think for her character to work the way she did. And I loved Glenda. She was one of my favorite mm-hmm. parts of this book. She needed someone in her life to, to... I don't know. We've just seen Terry Pratchett do this I agree. a bunch of times. I agree. Like, we have Tawny just a couple of books ago, who's basically the same. I, like, there's I very guess. little difference. I guess. And also, uh, is it Christine? Christine, in yeah. In uh, Masquerade? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've just seen this a couple of times, and I don't feel like there was a whole lot new brought that's to a, the that's idea. A, that's a fair point. But I don't know. I liked... Anyway, there's a, there's a moment where, mm-hmm. uh, uh, now I forget her name. Juliet, yeah, is at this uh, fashion show, and they realize she's this gorgeous creature, mm-hmm. and they're like, uh, "We're one model short, and you are the most amazingly mm-hmm. beautiful person we've ever seen. Can you please step mm-hmm. in?" And afterwards, she's just this phenomenon, right. and they're like, "She could come with us and earn lots of money." And Juliet or uh, uh, Glenda first steps up and says, "Absolutely not. You will not exploit her like this." And then she's like, "Wait a minute." No, you know what, Juliet? You need to go with these people. You need to get out. And I liked mm-hmm. that a lot. I liked her, that f- switch flipping and her saying, I shouldn't run her life. Where and she, also, yeah, it's good to get out of also here. Also, where she realizes, 
why would I want her to stay here and work yeah, in a these kitchen? These two, these and two make work in the night. Wage. These two work in the night kitchen at Unseen University. They bake pies for the for the wizards. Mm-hmm. Like that would be her entire life. Yep, and just day in day out, no real excitement, just more yeah. of sort of the same. And that actually kind of brings me nicely to my quote. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you this quote. It's actually going to be in two sections because mm-hmm. I thought it was sort of expressed in one part of the book, but it only really works with you if you have no, set it's up a, and it's payoff. No, it's a setup payoff. It's an echoing thing that he brings mm-hmm. up and then brings back. And it's something that really sort of resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the big fashion show, mm-hmm. um, Glenda is talking to Pepe, who is one of the, like, the fashionista mm-hmm. uh, people. And uh, he says, Dolly Sisters, right? Sounds like bot... And thanks. Thanks, book. Dolly sister, right? Sounds like the Botany Street area, said Pepe. I'm sure of it. Not too bad, as I recall. I didn't get beaten up much down there. But at the end of the day, they're all crab buckets. Glenda was taken aback. She'd expected anger or condescension, not this sharp little grin. You know an awful lot about our city, for a dwarf from Uberwalt, I must say. No, love. I know a lot about Uberwalt for a boy from Lob and Clout, Pepe said smoothly. Old Cheese Alley, to be precise. Local lad, me. And so then, later on in the book, um, they actually meet up with uh, Verity Pushpram, mm-hmm. uh, who's like Nobby's Nobby girlfriend. Nobby from occasional yeah. girlfriend, yeah. And they're, they're friends because they're mm-hmm. both in sort of the cooking industry. Um, yeah, she's like her supplier. Like, she sells right. the seafood that Glenda puts in food. And so she's she's saying hi to them. Mm-hmm. And she's, she reached down and picked up a crab out of the bucket came up and turned out that three more were hanging on to it. A crab necklace, giggled Juliet. Oh, that's crabs for you, said Verity, disentangling the ones who had hitched a ride. Thick as planks, a lot of them. That's why you can keep them in a bucket without a lid. Any that tries to get out is pulled back. Yep, thick as planks. And then Glenda's starting to think about this. uh, Oh, that's what Pepe meant. Yeah, because she thought, uh, well, like she says, a crab bucket, thought Julia as they hurried toward the night kitchen. That's how it works. People from the sisters disapproving when a girl takes the trolley bus. That's crab bucket. Practically everything my mum ever told me. That's crab bucket. Practically everything I've ever told Juliet. That's crab bucket too. Maybe it's just another word for the shove. It's so nice and warm on the inside that you forget that there's an outside. And the worst of it is, the crab that keeps you down the most is you. The realization had her mind on fire. So this is that idea of... You're 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 staying in your you have a place mm-hmm. and you're staying in it. Yeah, your comfortable rut. And even kindness and well-meaningness that Glenda has, mm-hmm. it's more of the same. It's saying stay where you're safe, don't take any risks, just one day very much like the next. Mm-hmm. And the idea of breaking out of that and it was was just that's such a why isn't that the book? Yeah, I know Glenda was by far the best part of the book i like i said the best like new character mm-hmm. from this book and she could have easily been if if there had been a way to mm-hmm. contextualize a witch book in the city she mm-hmm. could have been part of that because she's in the tradition of a lot of the witch characters mm-hmm. but different enough and we haven't had anyone quite like her because she's she's very willful but not mm-hmm. in that granny weatherwax like non-personal way and she, when we started reading the book, I remembered really liking her. And for mm-hmm. the first, I would say, quarter to third of the book, I'm like, oh, she's just a disapproving mom. Amanda of the past, you're an idiot. This character sucks. But it's No, her... then she realizes 
I shouldn't be that. But I I had literally read the book mm-hmm. and Terry Pratchett got me again mm-hmm. where I was like, I don't like her. She's just telling everyone no and telling everyone to do what they mm-hmm. like to to keep your head down and be a good girl. And I hate that. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out it's the story of her realizing, no, don't do that. Yeah. No, I loved that. There's several points where she basically... I think other than maybe Granny Weatherwax Mm -hmm. might be the person in this entire series who has looked very high authority figures Mm -hmm. directly in the eye and told them exactly what the fuck she thinks. Mm -hmm. Uh, In succession, Mm -hmm. Arch Chancellor Ridcully, Mm -hmm. Veterinari, and Lady Margolotta of Uberall. And they all fucking love it. Yeah, they all take her Mm -hmm. advice under advisement because, oh, yes, she's this, like, peasant nothing girl but first of all she knows how to fucking bake a pie mm-hmm. second of all she brings up some good points yeah like the wizards are when they're making their soccer team uh mm-hmm. they're originally going to because it's unseen academical so they're going to put two big u's on the front of their oh jersey, yes that was a good joke. which is a pretty good joke and she's like you, you know what that looks like and rid kelly's like like two u's and she's like no, it looks like tits. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, it does look like tits. Thank you. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> no, and, and then there's a whole sequence where yeah. it's like, oh, right, we're all ivory tower intellectuals. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about any of this. Maybe a person from that world should speak up. Mm-hmm. But my quote is Glenda going in and talking to Vetinari. Mm-hmm. And first, she comes into the palace and she's got pies Mm -hmm. that's her thing she makes pies the way like like nobody can make pies she makes pies the way granny or the way uh nanny fucks yes exactly it's it's her yes thing and uh she's got a family reputation like her grandmother was the the cook at the assassin's guild Mm -hmm. and that's how veterinary knows who she is but she's got the talent Mm -hmm. and she comes in and she tells him off in a bunch of different ways and this is this is near the end um Oh, uh, one more piece of context. Uh, Vetinari was uh, talking to all of the soccer captains, trying to convince them that this is the right thing to do. We should form a league, blah, 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 blah. And he gets drunk with the rest of them while, yep. while he's doing that. So there was a lot Glenda wanted to say, but in some very definite way, she sensed that the interview, or at least a part of it that involved her opening her mouth, was over. Nevertheless, she said, why aren't you drunk? I beg your pardon? You must weigh about half of what they do, and all of them went home in wheelbarrows. You drank as much as them, and you look fresh as a daisy. What's the trick? Did you get the wizards to magic the beer out of your stomach? She had stopped pushing her luck a long time ago. Now it was out of control, like a startled cart horse that can't stop because the huge load bouncing and rumbling along behind it. Vetinari frowned. My dear lady, anyone drunk enough to let wizards, who themselves had just been partaking copiously of the fruit of the vine, I might add, take anything out of him would already be so drunk as to be dead. To forestall your next comment, the hop is also technically a vine. I am, in fact, drunk. Is this not so, Drumnot? You did indeed consume twelve pints of very strong malt beverage, sir. Technically, you must be drunk. Idiosyncratically put, Drumnot. Thank you. <laughs> you don't act drunk. No, but I do act sober quite well, don't you think? And I must confess that this morning's crossword was something of a tussle. Procatalepsis and pleonasism in one day? I had to use the dictionary. The woman is a fiend. <laughs> Nevertheless, thank you for coming, Miss Sugarbean. I recall your grandmother's bubble and squeak with great fondness. If she'd been a sculptress, it would have been an exquisite statue with no arms and an igna- enigmatic smile. It's such a shame that some masterpieces are so transitory. The proud cook in Glenda rose unstoppably, but she passed the recipe on to me. A legacy better than jewels, said Vetinari, nodding. Actually, a few jewels wouldn't have gone amiss, Glenda reflected. 
but there was the secret of Bubble and Squeak, of course, right out there in the open where everyone could miss it. As for the truce of Selma Gundy, I believe this audience is at an end, Miss Sugarbean, said Vetinari. I have so much to do, and so have you, I'm sure. He picked up his pen and turned his attention to the documents in front of him. Goodbye, Miss Sugarbean. And that was it. Somehow she was at the door, and it had been almost closed behind her when a voice said, And thank you for your kindnesses to not. The door clicked shut, nearly hitting her in the face as she spun around. Oh, so good. The whole sequence of Vetinari being drunk was... It was a masterpiece. Yeah, we actually saw him working on the crossword mm-hmm. and, and Drumnot saying, wow, that's maybe your worst time yet. <laughs> and he he clearly is. Yes. Like, it's, he is acting differently and... He's still smarter than anyone in the city. It doesn't matter, but he's... But he's yeah. One of the reasons that Glenda gets in for the audience is, like, he even says, he's like, yeah. you know what, I've got a little time for this. Like, yeah. I, I, I can have some time for something a little fun, a little interesting, and Drumnot's like... <laughs> But also, I, just, I love the fact that he's sort of matching wits with mm-hmm. her. He doesn't get to do that mm-hmm. ever. Like, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really my good thing. Every time Vetinari showed up in this book, it just reminded me that he exists. And like, he this was this was a good Vetinari book. There was a lot yeah, of good Yeah, but Vetinari he wasn't stuff. in it enough. He wasn't. And we had Lady Margolotta come down from Uberwald, so there was a lot of sequences of them together. Yeah, it's the first time I think they've been in the same room mm-hmm. together, and I still don't have a clear idea of what their relationship is, and I don't need to. Nut and uh, Glenda break in uh, toward the end of the book, and uh, Vetinari actually keeps trying to shuffle them out because he says, mm-hmm. we have affairs of state to handle. You know, affairs of state. Yeah, but that's affairs a, of state. That's one way to read it. I the don't thing know is, it might that's... not be sexual. Like, it might not be, like, they're going to go bone down, It, but it is but they clearly... they still want intimate time together. Exactly. They want maybe. the intimacy. Or maybe there are affairs of state, legit affairs of state. They are too heads of powerful places right but that for them is also yeah, still that's, pretty into like true. the thing is they are we're quite sure at this point a couple of some kind yes yeah, so you know people in the city blood. yeah people in the city know it <laughs> yeah but exactly what that relationship looks like we don't know and we yeah. never will know and no, I, don't I don't really need to want know. to know no i kind of like the mystery of mm-hmm. it just like again the idea of Vetinari maybe being a vampire is raised, and it is not, like, contradicted. Nope, and he I very always, well could be. I always had it in the back of my head that maybe he is, but again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, like, it, it just doesn't matter. And he says, you know, that Lady Margolotta taught him a lot of what he knows yeah. about manipulation mm-hmm. and running things, and it could, cer- it's certainly possible, like, we saw him as a child, like, not a child, but, like, as a teen yeah. in um, Nightwatch. Nightwatch, but at that point, he then went off to Ubervault for the great sneer. So it's right. certainly possible she turned him into a vampire. Yeah. Like that's very, very reasonable. But it doesn't, again, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. But the thing is, I guess it probably wouldn't be a good idea to make him the main focus of an actual book, but. It'd I be hard know. to keep up. But he's always the most interesting part of the mo- mm-hmm. of the stories he's in, except maybe tied for first in some of the better Vimes books. Right. I kind of wish Terry Pratchett had given it a try where we just sort of stay at his POV because I mentioned this in when we talked about the Moist books. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting to seeing how he handles Moist versus how he handles Vimes, and mm-hmm. we get how he handles Ridcully in this again very differently. Like, each they're kind of palsy walsy. Yeah, they, they well, they're on a first name basis, yeah. but I don't think that they are is the thing. But um, it's just interesting these three very different men that he mm-hmm. treats completely differently, and I would love to see 
all of that. I would love to see how he treats Mrs. Palm mm-hmm. versus how he would treat, I don't know, like the head like of the Assassin's Guild. Versus... They're a bit close too. Not Could again, be. not not like no. not as in like a relationship way, but those two are could be. Yeah, they're they're old, like they're old buddies. They've been working she's, together for a long time. She's every time he's his position's in danger, she's the first one to step up. Yep. Like that's, they, they've worked together very closely for a lot of years. But also, that just could be sex work is usually very dangerous, mm-hmm. and he's for the first time made it so that it's not that way. Mm-hmm. That could just be that. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, self interest. Yeah. But but they have known each other for a long time, yeah. and we've never really seen them in a scene together no i would i would have loved that yeah just sort of i don't know like a west wing mm-hmm. but with veterinaries guys like uh drum knot would be one of the main characters and that, that, yeah pretty interesting oh there's a really cute bit where veterinaries talking about perks where mm-hmm. you know uh glenda gets leftovers from the kitchen mm-hmm. uh and he's like oh yeah it's just like drum knot probably has never bought a paper clip in his own life and and drum knot doesn't say anything at the time but afterwards he's like but I want you to know I buy my own paper. It's very important to me that you know that. You Like, I understand you were making a point, but mm-hmm. I buy yeah. my own. It's important for me that you know, and it's also important for me that I buy my own paper, paper clips because they're mine. Yes. And he's also a paperclip enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't he doesn't want the shitty ones that the, that the city would buy mm-hmm. probably cheap. He wants the nice ones. Yeah, the good paperclips. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because he, like Leslie Nope, believes there is a good, such a thing as a good paperclip. And he and Lady Margalotta even have a conversation mm-hmm. where she's like, there has to be at least one person in the world who thinks binders are important. Right. Like, that's, or the world wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. Um, I want to talk about... The fashion portion of the book. Yeah, why not? Uh, okay. So, first things first, I'm going to talk about sort of what, like, the, the, the plot point of it. Yeah. But then I've got kind of a complicated needle to thread. It sure is complicated. We talked about this before the show, and yes. good and luck. So, I might fuck this up. So, I'm going to apologize now. I'm going to apologize during. I'm going to apologize yeah. after. And I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry for being dumb. Um, I try not to be dumb. Uh, so we have two characters who are sort of the head of, um, uh, the dwarf fashion movement in Ankh-Morpork. We've got, uh, Madame Sean and we've got Pepe. And you keep saying her name and her name's only mentioned once or twice. They just call her Madame the whole time. So I'm like, who do you, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, and so they're making this new type of male called Micromale, uh, which is comfortable and beautiful, and you can make you can make traditional dwarf clothes out of it, but you can make it into like gowns. Yeah, it's like silk, mm-hmm. but it's as hard as armor. Right. So, so dwarves like Cheery can still be dwarves and still wear male, but they can wear something that's also beautiful. Yeah, they so, can present female. Yeah, but still present dwarf. Yeah. So this is a big deal. Yeah, and it's cool seeing the ripples of Cheery mm-hmm. from way back in, like, book eight or whatever it was, like, are continuing. Now. Yeah, and this is what's happened. Now there's a whole movement, and now there's a whole industry. Mm-hmm. And before you before you talk about this mm-hmm. real quick, I do think there's some good, fairly subtle commentary on cultural appropriation and mm-hmm. savvy cultures who take advantage of cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and, okay... You people want to buy our uh, dwarf fashions? You humans want to buy our dwarf mm-hmm. fashions? Go right ahead. We'll take your money. Yep. And that's very good. That's very good 
social, like, yeah. well, recognizing how people work. Glenda says, like, what are you doing charging the wages of an entire family for a year for some shoes? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, it's very good for taking money away from rich people, which you should like. Yeah. She's like, fair, fair and okay, fine. But it's also trickled down to yeah. your, your sort of working class people mm-hmm. because Juliet reads these fashion magazines mm-hmm. about like dwarf fashion dwarf yeah like armor and shit mm-hmm. and like glenda's like what you're not a dwarf what are you doing and we we see this all the time mm-hmm. you see mainstream white culture appropriating all sorts of mm-hmm. you know and again if you're in a position of privilege enough and if you're savvy enough you can you can turn that to your advantage and right. these guys do that so we have those we have this so there's uh madam sean and so she mm-hmm. runs the uh she runs sort of the the fashion uh shows and and all of that and then we have pepe who is her love interest um we it's it's implied in the book they hold hands they wake up in the same bed together they're very close it certainly could be argued that they're just like close friends now let's get into some of the things about these two characters Mm -hmm. Apology number su- number two. Mm-hmm. So, Pepe, in the book, textually says that he is gay. He is a human who has um, become a dwarf like Carrot has. Mm-hmm. He's done all of the rituals to become a dwarf. Uh, but instead of it with uh, Carrot being something like he was adopted by dwarves, he did this for business reasons mm-hmm. uh, so that he can make... He can be micro- part of the culture. Yeah, he can be part of the cul- culture, make micromail, be mm-hmm. taken seriously by the dwarves while they're doing dwarf fashion stuff. But he was, and he I don't think he takes his um, uh, like conversion to dwarf, like to being a dwarf very seriously. Like it's something that he did, but it feels like it's something he did more for business reasons. Uh, we mostly see him behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. I bet out in the actual dwarf yeah. fashion world, which we don't see much of. We mostly mm-hmm. see him relating to people behind the scenes. Right. He doesn't take it seriously, but I bet. He, pre- like, he, he, yeah. And he, when he was in front of the curtain, when we have him doing fashion shows and stuff, he puts on this sort of very flamboyant character that's like, like an old comedy gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a birdcage gay. Yeah, like lisping and mincing and all of this. And when the character first shows up, you're like, everyone's sort of like, oh, that's like, that seems very from the 60s and it turns out it's an act uh Mm -hmm. to sort of help sell the like the dream uh like Mm -hmm. it's boffo yeah uh so we have pepe then we have madame sean who is like who was uh raised a dwarf and Mm -hmm. born a dwarf madame sean has come to the city and started the fashion stuff the fashion stuff is considered like a mine like, mm-hmm. this is considered a oh, dwarven loved, kingdom, which bit. is cool. Yeah, the logic of all yeah. this, though. So uh, she is a, like, a head, she's a king, like a head, like a head engineer. Yes. Now, before you get yes. into all this, remember, in dwarf culture, mm-hmm. everyone is presumed male. Yes. And anyone in charge of a mine is a king. Right. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big the mine is. If you're, if you've got a mine with six people and you're the head engineer, right. you're the king of the mine. Right. But what I'm saying is in terms of gender before you mm-hmm. get into the complicated parts of it it doesn't matter anything like what you were assigned at birth it doesn't matter what you present as right. you are presumed male for the sake of mining business law. transactions yeah. right so 
she is the king of the mine. And she says, well, the first act of being king is declaring herself queen. I loved that. She presents female. Mm-hmm. She wears like all of the lady dwarf micro male. But her and Pepe are an item and Pepe is gay. So uh, we have another character who is in the uh, who is one of the the uh, the wizards, the soccer, players. one of the wizard uh, football players uh, called Bango Macarona. And he is also gay. And actually, Rid Cully and Ponder have kind of a conversation about it where it's like, oh, yeah, he's gay. It's not a big deal. Whatever. And the way it unfolds is kind of interesting yeah. because mostly to that point and mostly throughout mm-hmm. the book, Bango Macarona is foreign jokes. Mm-hmm. He's Italian <sighs> slash Spanish slash whatever, yeah. whatever from the continent that England, right. English people like to make fun of. Who's yeah. a good soccer player, but he's probably a little swarthy. Yeah. You know, like that kind of. Ugh. But you know what I mean. Yeah. That, that's sort of like. And, um, English racism, yeah. Cultural insensitivity, yeah. I would say. It's all still white people, but it's mm-hmm. still gross. But they, it's actually plays out in an interesting way because they're like, there's some very unhappy wives out mm-hmm. there, and the as it unfolds, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, not because he was sleeping with like the wives, yeah. but because he was sleeping with, with the, the husbands. husbands. And it was, it was okay, all right, good, good job. Good and job. He's supposed to be handsome, and everyone's supposed to be a little into him. Yeah, like even if you're not like. It's it's one of those things where like I'm not gay ex- except maybe maybe like right. maybe for the rock right like, I might be a little gay wasn't for the rock. there one of the Spice Girls was married to a soccer guy yes uh, uh, Beckham that's it there Is, was a wasn't movie. he that guy I think I have no idea I think so like sort of in the 90s into the 2000s wasn't he Cause I just like the I handsome feel like, man yeah I just I feel like there was some real world Maybe. analogs to some of this stuff. I have like I the only reason I know him is because of the Spice Girl and because right. there was a movie called Bend It Like Beckham that was I think about a little girl playing soccer okay. something like that. Anyway. But I know nothing about <laughs> Right. Anyway, Macarona is is pretty clearly gay. Yes, and uh And Terry Pratchett handles it well. Yeah, actually no, it's just he's just like he's really a gay guy. Ha- he's really handsome and charming and everyone's like, "Yeah, all right, I see it." Yep. Um and Toward the end of the book, uh, Madame Sean and Pepe are talking about Bango, and they're like, oh, "Could we? Do you think we could maybe get in there?" And uh, Pepe's like, "Yeah, we definitely could." Uh, so it, it seems to me that it's implied that um, Madame Sean. There, there's a couple of okay, so there's a couple of different layers here. First, all dwarves are male. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is an unnecessary layer of complication over this already complicated have, gender issue. Up to this point, I've enjoyed that. Yeah. Just if you if you remove the whole idea of transgender issues, mm-hmm. which is important and should be discussed, but he didn't think about this when he wrote that In first book 80s. with Cheery. Yeah. Like just as a male-female thing, mm-hmm. a woman having to present male to live in a male world mm-hmm. is some good, solid feminism 101 that i can completely understand like that was good but now 30 books later (laughs) so there's a couple of different sort of possibilities here Mm -hmm. we could madam sean could be um could be just be trans Mm -hmm. like just like regular just regular trans Mm -hmm. or madam sean could be um like a drag queen and terry Mm -hmm. pratchett has 
sort of dipped his toes into that before. He's clearly interested in the culture. Yeah, and he clearly has an affinity for, like, a fondness for, like, in, uh, that was one of the only good parts of the Australia book. Yeah, it was. The, was that. Was, and I feel like it came up in another book as yeah, well. Yeah, but he's he's clearly interested in drag culture and in, mm-hmm. in a in a sort of interested, not like, like a purient interest. He's He feels like he's engaged with the I culture. I feel like this is a guess. Yeah. I don't have any evidence of this, but I feel like at book signings, at fan mm-hmm. cons, at all that, he met some really cool drag queens mm-hmm. and really fell in with them and put them in the book. Right. It feels like... It, it does he, feel like that. Like, he these was are out my, there in the world. These are my friends. He was out there in the world yeah. engaging with the world like he did as an author mm-hmm. and met some really cool people and that became part of the tapestry. So it could be... It, it it could be either, like, uh, uh, but it could but be some other things. It, as well. it could also it could also just be that Pepe isn't gay and Bango Macarona is bi, and that's the thing. Maybe there's there's a lot of different mathematical combinations of bi here or yeah. poly. The three of them, yeah. Are, yeah. Who knows? And and so it was just it felt like. You had all of these sort of options, and some of these options Terry Pratchett might not have really thought about when he was writing, because this this book was written a while back. Um, it's one of the last ones, though, yeah. and he died in twenty fifteen or sixteen, so this would have been the like like the first part of last decade, like yeah. 2010, 2011, something like that. But he hadn't really gotten too deep into the no. the like uh, the gender stuff. No, I like would gender say the, being a. I would say the conversation really started happening. I don't know around the time he died, actually. And you know, like trans people existed before no, Terry course. Pratchett was. No, talking, I'm but, saying, but as as a mainstream culture, yeah, embracing it and not just using derogatory terms or dismissing it. It's only been the last five years or so. But the messaging here felt muddy, and it didn't feel muddy like he was doing it on purpose. No. Like, it didn't feel like, you know, he was doing like a, like, you know, a Shakespeare thing where everyone's dressed up as everyone else yeah. and what's going on here. It's supposed to be here. a little confusing. It, yeah, we're this and that. Because we had that in Monstrous Regiment a bit and yeah. that felt very deliberate. Yeah. Like, it felt like what is, what is gender? Who is what? What's going on And again, here? that was another good story of women trying to hack it in a man's world. Mm-hmm. Like, it just gets more complicated when you bring more factors into it. Right, but that felt deliberate. This felt like we've got the dwarf thing. We've also got sort of the the real world stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've got and some of it was sort of being thrown away as kind of like not jo- not like mean jokes, but just like joke jokes. Uh and so it, it, we we ended up with this and it wasn't important to the plot. Like it didn't really No, it didn't this whole fashion to... thing had nothing to do with anything. But it was something that I like the whole fashion aspect of it was one of the book part of the books that I found interesting. No, if it had been about that and Glenda. Yeah. Like that, Glenda and her friend Juliet who was involved in the fashion. There's an experience I think a lot of us have sort of had where you live in your shitty small town and then the queer circus comes to town mm-hmm. and it's like whether you're gay or not just seeing this even if you're just a completely straight arrow but a yeah. theater kid where it's like it's like oh you can live openly flamboyantly if you want you can just live you can be yeah your own person no. and it's fine back way back in the day Patton oswald had a great little bit about that where he's like the you know the kid in alabama or whatever going take me with you gay pride parade right where you realize that you can like you can yeah. just be yourself and you don't have to fit in so much here's another here's another interpretation Mm -hmm. this is sort of my occam's razor Mm -hmm. just like because he's an old british dude Mm -hmm. and he came up and 
he's he was pretty woke for an old mm-hmm. British dude, but he was still an old British. I mean, dude. he was woker than I was, faster than I was. Yeah, and like, there was a lot of stuff that he was writing about earlier mm-hmm. than a lot of mainstream sci-fi yeah. fantasy authors, for sure. I know some of the like the the lesser known ones, yeah, perhaps. It, I know you read a lot. Yeah, but, but his contemporaries, right, were not as far. His ahead contemporary as him. bestseller, yeah, like you know, really prominent guys. Yeah. I'm sure there were authors writing about this stuff, but just not like the super well-known ones. He was using his platform to talk about some pretty interesting stuff. But all of that said, it would not surprise me at all that this 60-plus-year-old British dude just sort of waved his hands and said, vaguely European people and also people in fashion are a little freaky. Mm -hmm. That's the explanation. That's pretty freaky, Bowie. Yeah, they're all they're all just into a bunch of freaky stuff, yeah. and they all want to fuck each other, and that's that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all that there is. That's it, kind of what I assume. It's that's certainly possible too. But like I say, it it's not like Terry Pratchett to have his messaging be this tangled. Mm, sometimes we, it is. We've seen it. We've seen it in some of his lesser books, and it yeah. always felt like well, this oh, is one of the lesser yeah. books. Yeah, like you can do better than this. Yeah, like, especially I know at you can this point better. in the series, yeah. like he's. Coming off all of those excellent books, mm-hmm. this is just like such a disappointment. We haven't even talked about the two main things the book is about. Yeah, we got because so I, don't, sidetracked. I don't give a shit about most of the rest the of the book. The show is half over. We got to talk about the rest <laughs> of the book. Can we talk about the orcs? Because yes. I do give a shit about That's that. That's the second thing. Yeah. That's the, one of the main things. If we have about. to not talk about something. We need to talk about all of it. Yeah, but let's let's okay. talk about the orcs I don't want to run out of time and have to talk about soccer, though. So let's, let's okay, so... move things along. We have another character that we haven't talked about at all yet, yes. and that's Nut. Mm-hmm. Nut came down from Uberfault, um, and it turns out... Well, we think he's a goblin we think for he's a, good a goblin. chunk of the story. And the goblins are sort of, they're, they're humanoid, sentient people who are considered vermin. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, people don't like them. And we deal with the goblins. We have In we, snuff. In, in snuff, yeah, yeah. I think we've met them, have we met them a little bit to this I point? I don't think we have. If we have, it's very briefly in passing, but we will have an entire book about right. it. About the uh, whole political situation of them. But it, so he gets sent down here to find worth. Mm-hmm. And he's small and he's well-spoken and he's... He's ridiculously well-spoken. Yeah, he's ridiculously well-spoken. He, he talks like, he talks like a Niles and Fraser. But it's like, he's around these working class mm-hmm. people who he's smarter than. Mm-hmm. And then he talks to Ponder and mm-hmm. Ponder can't entirely follow. Mm-hmm. Like he's... The smartest guy in yeah. just about any room. He loves philosophy mm-hmm. and he loves he loves learning. words and learning. Like, because practical, like, like uh, uh, working with your hands stuff too. Like, he's he, a good yes. smith. He's a good, just anything he can get out of a book and then do, yep. he does. And that it extends to abstract things like philosophy, but also practical things like alchemy. Like, he's just into all of yeah, it. Yeah, he's he's a he's a renaissance man. Yeah. He, he loves, diff- he's a lot like Leonard of Quorum where he's. Yeah, but not so flighty. Yeah, he's a genius and he's good at lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah, he's more focused. And Lady Margolotta has, has put this idea in his head about mm-hmm. worth. Right. And so he, she sort of um, mentors him and she sp- he spends a lot of time in her castle and he's while he's there, allowed to read whatever he wants and do whatever he wants and try whatever he wants. And so mm-hmm. this is where he picks up a lot of this sort of And because she's and who she is, he has access to everything. Everything. And she, yeah, puts this idea of, in his head of worth where he has to accumulate worth. Mm-hmm. That is his primary goal is to be worthy and to get mm-hmm. worth. 
And he gets this idea that worth is something that you can gain and lose. And it's something that you're always losing a little bit. And you have to keep basically filling the bucket Mm -hmm. with more worth. And there's times in this where he basically has a panic attack um, where he feels like he has been unworthy and he has to go and do things to help people or to create or to do something to regain that worth so he doesn't lose worth, Mm -hmm. which is... I mean, it's a little, it's a little accurate, but it's also sad. Oh, it's very it's sad. It's so sad, and Glenda is so mad about it. Yeah, because she's like cut from the same social justice warrior mm-hmm. cloth as Sam Vimes. She doesn't want to see someone being, you know, exploited or or being th- being made to think of as less, less than, than to serve yeah. someone else. And that wasn't exactly what Lady Margolotta had in mind. No, that's but that's just, what happened. That's what happened. And yeah. so when Glenda talks to Lady Margolotta about it, she like kind of tears her a new one. Yeah. And Lady Margolotta even admits like, maybe I went a little too far with the yeah. the idea. I wanted him to like learn. I wanted him to learn and to become and to become more. Yeah, than Yeah, not this. just like people think they're animals, and yeah. I wanted him to be like. It's. I wrote this down. It's like. Uh, one of the things he does well, we've talked about this a lot, is talk about sort of problematic literary things that have been problematic in the past mm-hmm. in a way that isn't. And in this case, he does the noble savage mm-hmm. in a way because it's couched in all this fantasy mm-hmm. stuff. It's not problematic. It's not like, here's a primitive villager from Africa. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he is an orc. Yes. And he is an orc-ass orc. And he's just an Well, orc. that's the thing. He yeah. thinks he's a goblin and then he finds yeah. out he's an orc. And I don't know fantasy. I don't mm-hmm. know what these things are, and I don't play Warcraft or any of that stuff, so I don't know what that is. And thankfully, he's also very good at this. He filled in the blanks. Right. He said, look, these were the warriors used by this evil emperor yep. to like just be this unstoppable force. And, like, and then it turns into sort of like a program to kill, program mm-hmm. to be evil, and can I be a good person on top of the worth thing we already knew about. And that's what Lady Margolotta is trying to do is prove, Yeah, we find out the reason behind everything. Yeah, is to prove that orcs are just people like everyone else. Yes. Of course they are. And that we have Nut, who is sort of this paragon genius type. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's this bit where um, he was actually, when they found Nut... Uh, it was actually Pastor Oates who did it, who mm-hmm. is a callback to way yeah, back. Yeah, Granny's in, old friend. Yeah, who he's going through the mountains and like mm-hmm. writing Well, they left him in Uberwald at the yeah, end of that book. That writing was... wrongs and spreading the good word and mm-hmm. he's still got his uh, his axe forgiveness with him. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, um, a, there's a bit near the end where uh, Vetinari and uh, Lady Margalotta mm-hmm. are talking and it turns out um, that the orcs, well, here, let me say. Yeah. The Igors made them from men, did you know? Vetinari, still holding his glass, walked to the other end of the table and picked up the pepper pot. No. However, now that you tell me, it is patently obvious. Goblins would not have been nearly ferocious enough. And they had nothing, said Lady Margolotta. No culture, no legends, no history. He could give them those. Everything they are not, he is, said Vetinari, adding, But that is an enormous weight you're putting on his shoulders. How much is on mine? How much of a weight is on yours? It's rather like being a cart horse, said Vetinari. After a while, one ceases to notice it's just the way of life. Is they deserve their chance, and it must be taken now while the world is at peace. Peace? said Vetinari. Ah, yes, defined as a period of time to allow for preparation for the next war. Where did you learn such cynicism, Havelock? Vetinari spun around and began his absent-minded walk along the length of the table again. Well, mostly from you, madam, though I have to say the credit is not all yours, since I have had an extended period of further education as tyrant of this city. I think you allow them too much freedom. Oh, yes, I do. 
That's why I am still tyrant of this city. And so good. They talk about uh, not basically is going to become the Mister Shine. Yeah, he's going to go inspire the the, the other orcs. orcs to like to lift them up to be better to, and to make them like realize that not only are they people like that. Yes, you are people. You are not just this horde. Right. Uh, you're all individuals. You, uh, <laughs> you are not a gun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's sort of his purpose and that's what he's been gaining all of this worth for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they, f- there, there's this, it's, and it's a short and I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to read it. Um, there's a bit where he's talking to Trev about what happened to him before Pastor Oaks oh, found him. So and good. it's, Oh, it, br- it was so sad. Um, but I am here. You asked why I am strong. When I lived in the dark of the forge, I used to lift weights, the tongs at first, then the little hammer, then the biggest hammer, and then one day I could lift the anvil, and that was a good day. It was a little freedom. Why was it so important for you to lift the anvil? asked Trev. I was chained to the anvil. They walked on in silence until Trev, picking up each word with care, said, I guess things must be sort of tough in the high country. Just that's what Nut's life was before Pastor Oates found him. And he's been so gentle to this point, you mm-hmm. can't imagine why would someone do that to him. Mm-hmm. And and that part is all handled very well, mm-hmm. and it's all doled out in a gradual way where it's like, oh, that's what, like, it's a pretty good mystery that mm-hmm. you're fed a little more and a little more, and it makes more sense. But I didn't find it annoying. Like, no. sometimes mysteries, I'm like, okay, get on That's what I mean. Yeah. When we meet him, we think he's a goblin. Mm-hmm. And then... Stuff starts happening. Like, he's got claws. Like, yeah. why do you... But have, I don't know if maybe goblins, goblins don't have, have claws, claws so or like. I don't know. But and he presents as being very small, but it turns out he's not. He's Sometimes actually, when he chooses to yeah, be, he can appear very big, be huge. Yeah, and that's so that's like it. Oh, that all that stuff is. It's, it's very so good. Sad. That would have been a good book too. Yep, and you could even have the two books dovetail where you've got very they really don't have anything to do with each other but they do because well glenda and glenda and nut are in love and it's both both stories are about being more than what you started i guess that's true yeah like you could you could do that you could do the jewels becoming the fashion star glenda leaving her shitty small town and nut becoming more than just some horde goblin. And Trev doing nothing. And Trev do yeah, whatever. I don't he give a shit about Trev. He wasn't even a bad character. He was actually a pretty good, like, like kid from the streets who mm-hmm. did, ended up not being an asshole. He ended up doing the right thing all the time and all that, and that was good. But, yeah, he was nothing. Yeah, he was, yeah. I, Okay, explain something to me. Yes. There's a point where they're in the shove, mm-hmm. and uh, Nut basically dies. Right. Like, he's, he's killed, mm-hmm. and death comes to him. Right. What happens there? So the idea is that the 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 orcs are designed like they're they were a yeah. designed people. Yeah, made from and, men, like I just read. Yeah, and they are basically impossible to kill. Like you yeah. can kill them, but that's what happened. Like he was brought to the point of death, but he comes back. But it felt like things changed then. Like not long after that, he realizes he needs to know something, and then not long after that, he realizes it's that he's an orc that's when he realizes that he can't, like, this isn't normal for a goblin. Mm. So this is when he realizes something is, okay. like, something thought, is different. I thought something very specifically transformative happened there, not just that I don't think so. I think I think it's happen. just like, why is this happening to me? It doesn't ah, make sense. That, I was okay. dead. Okay, that's yeah. fair. No, I thought it was, I thought there was more significance there that maybe it had something to do with uh, 
mythology or religion or something. I don't so, think so. Okay, because there was a bit at the end of the soccer game mm-hmm. where uh, Trev and Juliet turn into these glimmering gods and there's a voice and i, I think didn't that's get that just at all sports like the spirit of victory nike all that kind of stuff like whatever <laughs> the spirit of nike well that's the you know that's where the that's where I, the shoes came i from. know i know but you know yeah the spirit of all nike. right let's talk about the fucking football one more thing and we'll talk about the football they are we we didn't talk about this much but nut and glenda are in love yes and their love juxtaposes really nicely to Trev and Juliet's love. Yeah, because they're pretty stupid people. Exactly. They're they're um they're stupid and they're it, it, there's a lot of like you know, like they're not super like they, they don't really understand what they're feeling and they're just sort of go like like Romeo and Juliet. They're just yeah, yeah, dumb yeah. kids going like going for it. Mm-hmm. And um they uh not writes a poem for um trev to send i to thought Juliet. that could have been a more interesting story and it, it went nowhere but he writes a poem and the poem is like it, it, what's kind of funny is trev says what i want to say to Juliet is like let's go on a date i promise i'll keep my hands to myself no yeah. hanky panky and then nut turns that into a beautiful poem glenda reads it and she understands it's a beautiful poem and has to translate it back to Juliet. As that was okay, we want a I nice guess. date, no hanky panky. But the part that I wanted to talk about is what Nut and Glenda see in each other isn't that sort of like we this beautiful overriding like storybook passion. Mm-hmm. It's just two people who are similar. And the poem he writes is I sing not of love, for love is blind, but celebrate instead the muse of kindness. Like that's what they see in each other is right kindness and like that kind of like a warm love instead of this sort of like conflagration love and i i like that yeah no that was good yeah but again all of this that being said all of this all of this was buried in the goddamn soccer stuff well okay Okay, so everything we've talked about so far was less than 50% of the it book. It was about a third of the book, and yep. that third of the book, I Was two really pretty interesting liked. stories. And it felt like it was not realized, but there was so much of it that mm-hmm. I really, really liked. But the thing is, okay, there is football, which we'll get to in a sec. There's also the Wizards. Mm-hmm. The Wizards being the most the Wizards they've ever been, and this is mm-hmm. my bad thing. I kept waiting over the course of all of these books for Mustrum Ridcully to become a better, more interesting character, but he never did. He's still a deliberately ignorant jackass. He's a bully. He's he's just terrible. He had one okay moment where everyone thought the librarian had been poisoned, and mm-hmm. he had a really good bit where he talked just about the vengeance and the well, fireballs. He said, and the... no, the librarian hasn't been poisoned because anyone knows if they poisoned the li- librarian... They would be dead, and they, they're no, no. Like, they wouldn't just suffer the worst thing they could imagine. Mm-hmm. They would suffer the worst thing I could imagine. Right, and that was like okay for for a brief moment. Mm-hmm. I don't hate Ridcully, but then he went back to being just. There like, was some pretty know, good stuff with him and Ponder too. Hard where, disagree. Where uh, Ponder was like the dean uh, from the previous books has gone off to be a, a yes, the a, fat dean who is yes, fat. He is fat. Ugh. Uh, mm-hmm. goes off to be the arch chancellor of a different university, and he's got Adrian Turnipseed, who I think we met in a previous. Book. Yeah, I think he was Matt Adrian, Matt Adrian or yeah, yeah, who's building um their own. Okay, version this of I Hex. liked because it was 
Ponder. Yes. Because Rid is a blustery asshole. Yeah. And Ponder's just like, yeah, I know what they're doing is going to fail. I'm just going to sit back and wait for it to fail. I'm not going to be a blustery mm-hmm. asshole about it. And I like that, but I like that because of Ponder. But that was a, I enjoyed those sequences where Mustrum's like, Are, aren't you like mad about this? And he's like, well, what did they say about this blip field or mm-hmm. whatever? And he's like, I don't think they mentioned anything about it. And Ponder's like, Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And then at the end of the book, it turns out it failed. Yeah, and that's like I like that. Yeah. I mean, I still don't love Ponder, but I, that's that's not. There bad. were some not bad Ponder bits in this, like I guess where so. he um, he's the uh, he he keeps getting on different roles in the wiz- like in the yeah, college because nobody else wants to do it. More jobs onto him, and so he just keeps doing them, and it turns out that he's the most powerful wizard. Yeah, he's like he's like three fifths of the mm-hmm. council that can sign things into, into law yeah. or whatever. But Reed Cully, just the same loud, mm-hmm. ignorant bully he's always been. And, like, he, th- you had one last chance. Like, mm-hmm. he does show up very briefly in at least one other book I know of, but he's not the main focus ever again. This is the last time. This is the time he could have gotten the wizard thing finally right that he tried in ten other books. He keeps trying. And they're still just fat and lazy mm-hmm. and stupid. There's... A whole bit at the beginning where they're chasing an imaginary creature that doesn't exist because they've been doing it for a hundred mm-hmm. years. And it's like, he's also done that bit where it's like, mm-hmm. they do things because they're traditional, not because they make sense. And the whole driving force, the whole inciting incident mm-hmm. that makes them form a, uh, a soccer team in the first place is they're going to lose their food because fat. Because fat. So they have to form a football team. Right. Like, as a stipulation of a grant that they receive. Which, okay, that's fine. Whatever. I've seen a million, like, comedies from the 80s where yeah, it's like, whatever. my crazy uncle's will says I have to do this thing that would make the movie interesting. That's fine. But what they do is they make a team of all these very old men. Like, once again, this university has no point. Like, I've said this a million times. Most of the people in the university don't even have names. And on top of that... There appear to be no students. Like, you know when a school has a sports team, that's who the team is, right? The students, the people who are there, the, the people who the school is for. And it ends up being at the end of the book that the team is Bango Macarona. Yeah, professors. Yeah. yeah. And, and no, but it's, professors it's, it's, and two people yeah. who work for the university. Yeah. But no students. There are never students. Like, what's the point of this university? And maybe that's the joke. I think that's the joke. And but, I think that's like, and I think that's an English college thing that you're just not going to get because you were not brought up in that uh, but, world. But I'm it's, sure. Well, it's the same for me. Like when all of this fraternity stuff that you see in mm-hmm. a bunch of like. Oh, I don't understand that like, either. I just but, see it in TV shows. But, but yeah. that's not really a thing in Canada. Mm. Uh, well, you're so, lucky. So. When I started seeing that stuff when I was a kid, I'm like, what What are you talking about? Yeah. No, but like Cambridge's team mm-hmm. must be made of students. Yes, presumably. Right? And they even talk about earlier in the book that they are going to give scholarships and stuff yeah. for people who are good at but this then, and that's how they're going to make a team. But then the team is Rincewind, who is now the professor of cruel geography, yep. and Bengo Macarona, who's like an exchange professor, mm-hmm. and the librarian, mm-hmm. and Ridcully, like... What? Mm-hmm. So, and the last 
I don't know, thousand pages mm-hmm. of the book are this interminable oh soccer game. Oh my god, it's so long. William DeWord just... is like uh, sports commentating. And that's the joke is like the flowery sheltered mm-hmm. kid is trying to describe sports. Only because we're flowery sheltered kids, we didn't see the joke. It was just boring. Yeah. Also, um, oh god, it's so long. Yeah. It's so long. Well, there's a bit where Bingo Macarona, funny foreign man with mm-hmm. a long name insists that if they're going to chant his name, they have to chant his very long name and all Mm -hmm. his titles. All his wizard titles. Now, if you're reading this book as a book with your eyes, Mm -hmm. you can skim over that. You can read it the first time, snicker at a couple of the funny turns of phrase Mm -hmm. because there's a couple of like cute little like plays on what you expect. Then when you see it the fourth, fifth, sixth time, you can just skim. The audiobook, unfortunately, poor Stephen Briggs mm-hmm. had to read this over and over and over again. And to his credit, he did, and he did a good job. Not funny, though. But it was not funny. And when you're listening, it's literally five minutes of just the same thing over and over You again. went up and, like, got some food and stuff and came back, and it was, it was still, still happening. happening. It's it's the old Python joke with yeah. Johan Gumbo Buddy, whatever. Yeah. It's funny, and then it's not anymore. And I know the logic is it'll come back and be funny again, it but it, it doesn't. No. We, that stuff doesn't work on us. We don't like repetitive humor. No, I don't like repetitive mostly anything. I don't yeah. like time loops largely, yeah, I and I don't like uh, I don't like repetitive jokes. Yeah. Not funny. But the football stuff, it, it felt like one more iteration of mm-hmm. something from our world manifests in Discworld. Mm-hmm. And okay, this time it wasn't brought by the Dungeon Dimensions, but it was still that same mm-hmm. logic. It was still that same, everyone's won over by this thing that we're already all familiar with. Right. And it's just like, okay. And the thing is, this already existed in the world. Yeah, like it's but not... not in this form. No. The fact that they have a rubber soccer ball now was a big deal instead yeah. of kicking around a piece of wood or whatever. And like, there was a bunch of things like that. But we did moving pictures and soul music mm-hmm. and... Uh, there's been a few others like that, but those are the two that stick out in my head. Just like enough. Yeah, no, it was the whole, and that was a lot of the book. Yeah, was that's, this soccer that's stuff? Ostensibly, the like unseen academicals is the name of the team. Yeah, and the cover of the book, depending on which copy you have, is usually something to do with soccer yeah. because that's what it's about. And it's, I mean, I'm not a huge sports guy, but Terry Pratchett has brought me along on stuff that I'm, I'm not, not a, hugely I'm interested in. I'm not a huge in. fantasy guy, and I yeah. love this series. You can get me. But in this case, not at all. They were just yeah. these unendurable slogs. And and this, the, the sports story had, apart from Trev, who mm-hmm. sort of walked in both worlds, had nothing to do with all the Glenda, Juliet, and Nut stuff at all. Well, Nut eventually becomes the trainer of the yeah, team. Yeah, but he just as easily could have expressed his worth through any other activity. It didn't have to be sport. And he didn't become the trainer of the team until the last, like, 20% of the book. So right. there wasn't a whole lot of that. Like, his whole thing is that he's training the team to do ballet and to do like that part was okay work and like the the psychology of sport yeah. and and all of that and i mean the, there's some interesting stuff to say about that i guess but it was just i'm just not into it yeah i guess so uh the wizards like to eat and oh my god i want to talk about my bad thing yes. there was some like axe grindy gender stereotype stuff in this he's always book. done a little of that but it was definitely magnified here like we, he's we always usually, done a there's little usually one line haha my horrible wife or it, whatever it's, it's usually vimes saying well wives are mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. lady civil's amazing come on man yeah it, there, there's usually like one thing but in this it was a lot of like yep. bitches be shopping yo like yep. it was like and and 
equally bad about like men, men too. Yeah. Men are real stupid, and they're driven by their dicks, and all they want is to drink and watch sports. Uh, like, and they need a woman to tell them to wash yeah. their socks, etc. Uh-huh. Like, oh, uh, it's so. No, it was all terrible. It was, and it just like you know, you get one, and I'm like, okay, move it along, and then there'd be another and another, and, and that's another. why that's why it's so hard to reconcile the potentially complicated gender minefield mm-hmm. of the fashion guys yeah. because in the same book he's just like men are all exactly like mm-hmm. this and women are like okay which one is it are you are you embracing the fluidity and complex mm-hmm. uh, spectrum that is gender or are you just saying there are two genders and each one is exactly this way and again if we had a character who felt that way, that would be well, one that's, thing. That's different. But it's not. It's the omniscient narrator saying no, these things. It's like when Colin and Nobby, mostly Colin, mm-hmm. is kind of racist against mm-hmm. whatever new fantasy race is there. Like, yeah, okay, the old man, of course, is a little, yeah, you know, but but not everyone's like that. So, yeah, yeah no, that was terrible. That whole part of the book sucked. It was the, boring. It wasn't funny. There most were... of the, like, we talked, we largely talked about the parts we liked. Mm-hmm. But to well, be clear, the most parts, of the book we The did parts not. we liked were the parts that were also interesting. This felt like one of the early books where I don't have that much to say about it because I'm like, well, I hated it and it sucked. Well, we're well over an hour now. Yeah, so. so I hated it and it sucked. We spent 45 minutes talking about, about 10% mm-hmm. of this book is the problem. Mm-hmm. So we need to wrap things up. Okay, very good. Uh, what's your grade? It was a C plus. The parts I liked, I really, really liked, but the parts I hated were more than half of the book. I gave it a D because, like, this late in the series, he knows better. Like, yeah. There's no. I don't understand how this is the same author who wrote the Tiffany Aching books mm-hmm. and Thud and like uh, Going Postal. Like, there's, there's no it's, way. It's bad. This book is bad. I would not recommend someone read no. this book. Um, what do we have for pune or play on words? Okay. Not that them. Philosophers. Will I say philosophers, but well, oh, the mucky ones, said Fassel cheerfully. I wouldn't say mucky, said Miss Hellsether, and this was true. A ladylike librarian would not employ that word in the presence of a smith, especially one who was grinning. Let us say indelicate, shall we? There's not a lot of call for delicacy on an anvil, so the smith continued unabashed. They're the ones who go on and on about what happens if ladies don't get enough mutton and says that cigars are that's a fallacy that's right that's what i said <laughs> terrible there was some sigmund freud uh, stuff in there that was pretty good yeah there was some philosophy stuff and some uh psychology stuff mm-hmm. that was that was okay yeah yeah well that was all part of nuts thing yeah uh okay so our cliche count he's back on his bullshit mm-hmm. uh one gingerly four surreptitious mm-hmm. no saturations no quantums no something that happens to other people but i think we called this out last time mm-hmm. this tired dad joke that he mm-hmm. loves the leopard can change his shorts in this book 10 times That's 10 so many times it's not funny even at one point he's got glenda wondering leopards don't wear shorts why do people say that well motherfucker you you're the one who started back yeah. in book three or whatever and you're still doing it it's not funny dad and one time in a book would be too many but 10 yeah. no if you have someone like nobby or colin who mm-hmm. are kind of like or Trev in mm-hmm. this case, like your working class, not well educated, who, who you know, some malapropisms come mm-hmm. out and they're kind of funny. That's okay. But this is mostly in the in the omniscient narrator. And, and it's again and again. Or Vetinari, who the most refined, yeah. educated person in the series. Like, yeah. Okay. So this book can no longer hurt us. Yep. It is behind us now. I don't think there's any other 
bad books. We have four left. Yeah. We have, the next one is I Shall Wear Midnight, yep. which is a Tiffany Aiken book. I like that one. Then we have Snuff, which yep. is a Vimes book. Which is okay. It's good. It's just not as good as the other Vimes yeah. books, but it's it is okay. good. It's okay. No, it's good. I remember it being good. I remember it being okay. It's, the Goblin stuff's very good. Yeah. Um, And then we have Raising Steam, which I do not remember. It's okay. And then we have the final book, the final Tiffany Aiken book, mm-hmm. uh, Shepherd's Crown. Which I love. Yeah, we'll but see. I'll, again, I need to read it again. Again, that yeah. might be sentiment talking, yeah. not like critical thinking. So, but that's oh what yeah, because I'm a deeply sentimental person. You you're not. You're you're all the time telling me I need to get my hysterical emotions under control. You're not, but I would absolutely believe that book forty something <laughs> of this beloved series that you know is the dying author's mm-hmm. last book, you might get a little sentimental about. I think you probably like you probably didn't cry, but I bet you got a little like aw. I do wish he wasn't dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. For you, that's sentimental. Yeah. Wish, yes. <laughs> hmm. If I could make someone not be dead, I would make him not be dead. Yeah. Hmm. That'd be good. All right. That's all for this time. This has been a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2020 and 2021. For our full archives, RSS feed, and more, visit us at thedeathofpodcast.com. And for access to our show notes, bonus photos, advanced copies of episodes, and even the opportunity to pick something for us to review, consider a donation at patreon.com slash algar. That's A-A-L-G-A-R. Thanks for listening.